hope. Hope is a feeling of expectation. Christmas Eve, as a kid, remember that feeling of, I can't wait to get up in the morning and maybe I'll get that gift I've been hoping for. Or maybe you bought somebody a gift and you can't wait to hopefully see that smile on their face because they liked what you got them. It's that sense of expectation, hope. Hope also provides light at the end of the tunnel. We've all been in moments, experiences, seasons of our life where it feels like I'm in the tunnel and it's dark and there's struggle. Hope provides light at the end of the tunnel. I've given you this illustration before, but if you've ever been to the city of Pittsburgh, you drive down 376, the parkway, and you enter the tunnel. And when you get into the tunnel, it's dank and it is nasty. And I have been through this tunnel hundreds of times, and each and every time I've thought to myself, maybe this is the time where it all comes crashing down and it's game over. I mean, it is just a depressing place to be. But then, after about a minute of being through the tunnel, the light appears. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It is your hope, and you get closer and closer. And then, if you've experienced this, it's, it's extraordinary. You get through the tunnel, and the city appears, the glistening city of Pittsburgh. And even though I've been through it many, many times, it kind of takes your breath away each and every time you see the new city on the other side of the tunnel. So it's true. Hope provides light at the end of the tunnel. And so we are in part four of Jesus Messiah today. We're taking a look at these ancient prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And today we're looking at Jeremiah's tunnel vision, which is eventually, essentially a message that the prophet Jeremiah gives to the nation of Israel to say, you're about to enter the tunnel. It's about to get difficult. It's about to get dark, and you're going to feel like things are going to crash in on you. But in the midst of the tunnel, I want to give you a vision of hope because there's light at the end of your tunnel. So when you open up the book of Jeremiah, it starts out pretty rough. He actually gives a prediction of judgment. He says this, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness and forsaking me and burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. And so Jeremiah is a guy that would stand up and say, you got to turn, you got to repent, you got to stop worshiping these images and worshiping these pagan gods and hurting people and oppressing people. It needs to stop. And the people are like, yeah, whatever, man, life is good. So they would take Jeremiah and they'd throw him in the bottom of a cistern, but he would keep preaching and he would say, repent, repent, repent. And they'd be like, ah, whatever. And they'd take him out of a cistern and throw him into a courtyard. But he would keep on preaching until eventually his prediction came true. They got captive. They got taken captive to the tunnel of Babylon. There was eviction and separation, right? You're going to be taken out of your land. You're going to be separated from your parents and your loved ones. And there were mothers who were holding their children, and those children would be whisked away and put in chains and brought to Babylon. It was awful. It was horrible. The temple of Yahweh was no longer in appearance. Instead, they would wake up every morning and see the temple of Marduk. Thousands and thousands of people from Judah 
were brought into exile, brought into captivity. And if we look at our map, the purple would be the Babylonian Empire. And as they leave Jerusalem, it would maybe be about a 750-mile walk. But in those days, they had to take you along the rivers so that you could have something to drink. And it would be about a 1,700-mile walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. And these people are like, this is terrible. This is awful. I mean, it's, it, it just feels like everything's falling down on me and I don't see any hope. And, uh, and, and you know, many of the people, they, they deserved it because of their sin. But in some cases, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three young Jewish males who did not deserve it, they were taken against their will and they were brought to Babylon. And they're like, okay, here we are in this place that I don't want to be. Well, what am I supposed to do now? There's no temple. I don't have my family. I don't have my mama. What am I going to do? And so Jeremiah says, here's what you do when you get to Babylon. You seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And you pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So get to Babylon and settle down and get married and work jobs and seek to be a blessing to your city. And then in the midst of the tunnel, there's hope. And here's the hope that Jeremiah gives them. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed. Now, 70 years is a long time. So some of these people are never going to leave captivity. It's their children who are going to make it back to Jerusalem. But when these 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, and I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you Israel, Judah. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I know you don't want to be in the tunnel. I know you don't want to be in exile, but hope is on the way. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Now, again, hope provides light at the end of the tunnel. Let me give you some examples from our everyday life. Okay, For some of you, you've got a tough work week coming up. Right? Maybe you got some meetings, you got some deadlines, there's some relationships that are a little bit of a struggle at work. But Christmas week is on its way, right? And you know you got some time off, some time to relax, and you can see the end at the you can see the tunnel at the end, the light at the end of your tunnel. For others of you, it's the complete opposite, right? And Christmas week is like, ugh. I mean, the kids are going to be home. I got to hear left and right from the kids. I'm so bored. I got nothing to do. Maybe you got some family coming in, and you know it's going to be a tunnel for that Christmas week. But January 3rd is on its way. There's light at the end of that tunnel, and you know that once January 3rd comes, kids will be back in school. You'll be back at work. It's going to be okay. Maybe you're in middle school, and you're like, I hate middle school. I hate my classes. I don't like anything about it. But you've heard that high school gets better, right? There is light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe you're in college or you're doing a degree program and you're kind of like slugging through it, right? And the thing that enables you to get through that degree program is because you know graduation is on its way. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Some of you, you're raising little ones, right? And you're changing diapers every day and the diapers are 
dank and smelly and nasty and you feel like you're in the tunnel, but soon she's going to be potty trained, right? And there is light at the end of that tunnel. Maybe you're a Buffalo Bills fan and just a, f- <laughs> just a few weeks ago, there was no light at the end of the tunnel, right? And then that happened, six inches of hope. And now all you Bill fans, you're like, oh, I can see the Lombardi at the end of the tunnel. And there's hope and there's strength. So all I have to say is don't mope, have hope. If you're in the middle of the tunnel, if you're going through it, if you're, quote, in exile, don't mope, have hope. So Again, here's the nation, they're in exile, and they don't like their life, and it's the tunnel. And he gives them some more hope. Here's what he says. There's going to come a time, after 70 years, where you will come back. You'll come back to the land, and there will be joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil. It's going to be so good. There's going to be so much joy. You're going to be dancing. I mean, the maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. That's what you have to look forward to. The regathering where your relatives will be there and you'll see the glistening temple and it'll be filled with joy. That's the hope that you have Oh, exiles. And then he switches back to the current time period. And he says this. Jeremiah says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel, who is known as the mother of Israel. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And if you can imagine yourself like mothers, right? you have these little children, and then all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar with his army shows up and they take your children away from you. In some cases, their children were actually killed in the siege of Jerusalem and the women were weeping. It was horrible. It was awful. It reminds me of this movie that I watched a while back where there was a, a mother with her two or three children on a, on a slave block, and the slave owner sold two of her children to one guy and sold her to another guy. And in the movie, it's this brutal scene where she is just weeping and cannot stop. And in the movie, the guy's like, stop your weeping. Why, why can't you get it together? And she says, my children are gone. My children have been taken captive, and I'm separate from them. Don't tell me to stop weeping. Jeremiah says, you remember that moment where your children were taken away, where some of them were killed and some of them were taken into exile. But here's a little bit of hope for all of you weeping mothers. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. And so some of the mothers who raised boys and girls who were faithful to Yahweh Boys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would go to Babylon as exiles and stand firm for the Lord. God says to those mothers, your work's going to be rewarded. Your faithfulness is going to be rewarded even though you're in the tunnel. That these, these people who are in captivity will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your future, declares the Lord.
Well, 70 years later, can you imagine? This is a long time. 70 years. The Jewish captives in Babylon, they return. Babylon is taken over by Persia, and the king of Persia is a little nicer than the king of Babylon. And one day, a man by the name of Nehemiah, who's never even been to Jerusalem, never even seen the walls that had been torn down by the Babylonians, his heart is broken for the city. And so he says to the king, Artaxerxes, he says, can I go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem? And he funds it, and he heads back, and they rebuild those broken down walls that Babylon had destroyed 70 years earlier. And Zerubbabel comes back and they rebuild the temple that had been plundered and had been destroyed. And one day, all of these Jewish captives that come back into the city, they look at the rebuilt walls and they rejoice. And they worship God. And there's, I don't know, thousands of them maybe in a courtyard. And Ezra, who's one of the priests, stands up on a platform just like this. And he looks out at all of the people. And he opens up the book of the law, you know, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and he begins to read to them. And the text tells us that Ezra read it aloud from daybreak till noon. This is about six hours, and all the people listened attentively. I mean, can you imagine showing up here? It's six in the morning, and I just open up the law, the Old Testament, and I just read it for six hours, Right? You can barely get through a 30-minute sermon, let alone like six hours of just straight-up reading. And so he's reading, and people are standing there listening attentively because it's been a long time since they've heard the Bible read. Many of them didn't even speak the language anymore, so they had to bring translators to translate what Ezra was reading. And it says that Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And again, some of these people, it wasn't even their fault that they ended up in captivity. It was their, the sins of their forefathers, but they, they're, they're struck with this, this sinful history. And they, they bow down with their faces to the ground in a moment of contrition and humility because of the sins that their forefathers had committed that led them into captivity. And then Nehemiah, who's the leader, he looks at these folks who are their faces to the ground. He says, it's time for you to get up. And it's time for you to go and enjoy some choice food and some sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the people distribute and they have a party, right? And they've got their friends gathered around. Everybody's eating a good meal and dancing and, and it's just wonderful. However, they're reminded that though they are back in the land, they're still ruled by a foreign ruler. They're still living under oppression. And this is what they say. Yeah, it's good. We can celebrate. We love that. But but see, we're slaves today, slaves in the land that you gave our forefathers. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. These kings, these foreign rulers rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please, and we are in great distress. Even though they're back in the land, they're in exile in their own land ruled by foreign 
rulers. And you read the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, the prophet who speaks on God's behalf, speaks. And then he's done speaking. And this is amazing. We have 430 years of silence. There's no prophecy. There's no word of the Lord. I mean, imagine, this is... This is almost twice as long as we've existed as a nation. You talk about a tunnel. You talk about distress and wanting to see light at the end of the tunnel. 430 years of silence. You thought that was awkward. Imagine 430 years. So eventually the the Romans take over. They install a man by the name of Herod, this puppet king. And they say, we want you to take over the land of Judea. Just make sure there's no fights that break out, no revolts. And he was a brutal man. You read about the history of Herod, and he would kill some of his sons. He would kill his mother-in-law. Anybody that got in his way, anybody that was a threat to him, he would take them out. And so he finds out that Potentially a king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem fulfilling the prophecy from Micah and he gets threatened and he gets furious and he does what he does. He kills the threat. Matthew tells us that he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And here's what Matthew says. This act of Herod killing what's probably about a dozen baby boys in the little town of Bethlehem fulfilled what was said through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Can you imagine having your baby boy taken out of your hands and killed by King Herod. Now, here's a question. Why did Matthew say that this was a fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15? Why did he reference this verse? Well, here's why. Because Herod's massacre of the innocents, it served as a painful reminder that although the Jews returned to the land, They remained in exile, under foreign oppression, feeling hopeless. I mean, it's been 430 years since God has spoken. And even though we're back in the land, we continue to be ruled by the Romans. And this statement that I put on the screen, it's such an important statement to understand because it seems like half of our Christmas carols are about this. Right? Like we just sang about it. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. You know what the word pining means? It means, ah, like groaning and wanting and hoping that something would change, hoping that there'd be some kind of light at the end of the tunnel till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope where the weary world in the tunnel 
rejoiced, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, because now there's light at the end of the tunnel, because the Messiah has come. Well, Jesus, of course, escaped the massacre of the innocents. And this is amazing. Nothing God does is random. He's weaving together a tapestry. He's weaving together the story of Israel and fulfilling it with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Here's a really good example. So in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh orders the killing of all of the baby boys in Israel. And this one woman takes her little baby boy named Moses and puts him in a basket to save him. And he avoids the massacre. In the same way, Jesus avoids the Roman massacre. He leaves Bethlehem and they take him to Egypt where he stays for maybe a few months, tops a couple of years. And eventually, out of Egypt, God calls his perfect son and he becomes victorious Israel where Israel failed. And he lives in this little town called Nazareth, this backwards city where not very many people live, where at one point one of the disciples said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then he would live his life and he would start his ministry. And about 30 years later, this time he did not escape the massacre of the only innocent one because crucifixion crushed Israel's hope for a Messiah. And they thought, we thought he was the one who was going to deliver Israel, and now he's hanging dead on a cross. And all of their hopes were dashed. All of the light at the end of their tunnel was extinguished. And they placed him in a tunnel with no light. But three days later, three days later, his buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. And he exploded out of the tunnel, and he is now our living hope. And that's what we celebrate today. And I love what Peter, the apostle, wrote to the church years later. He would say, dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, you know you're an alien? You know you're a stranger? Right? We live in this world that is broken, that's dank, that's smelly, and that's full of suffering. We're exiles. We live in this world as it wasn't created to be. Because when sin entered the world, it busted it all up. We're living in exile. We're living as strangers. And we're reminded of our exile every time a mother weeps for the loss of her child. Every time we witness a war on the television screen or we hear about fighting and death and children dying, we're reminded of our exile but you know what we celebrate at Christmas is that God didn't just simply sit back and say, well, I hope they can figure it out. I hope they can create their own light in the midst of their tunnel. No, he did something about it. He became a baby. He entered our dirty tunnel, and he lived an innocent life. He got massacred, and he provided the solution 
to human suffering. And you say, well, what's that? What's the solution? Forgiveness of sin and the future hope of a new city. Here's how Jeremiah worked to describe it. I want to look at this passage we looked at just a few minutes ago and reinterpret it through the second coming of Christ Jesus. So Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 12, they will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil. When Jesus comes back and renews the earth and it becomes perfect, there's going to be a whole lot of joy. The maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I'll give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. So this past Monday night, I heard a story about women that gathered in this place. There were about 60 women, teenagers that got together. And I heard that some of the older women, like keyword older, and younger women started to dance. And they started to, you know, get a little jiggy with it on Monday night. And I said, is there video evidence to this? I got to see this. So if you'll turn your attention to the screen. I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not going to do that. There were a couple of you who got real nervous right now. Here's how the Apostle John described the, the new heavens and the new earth. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We mourn and we grieve the death of children. We mourn and we grieve the suffering that exists on this earth. But there's coming a day where your king's coming back and he's going to renew it and it's going to be perfect. And right now where your hips are all, you know, you're limping because you got bad hips and bad knees and you feel like I'm a little bit old, I can't dance. Everything's going to be renewed, and you're going to be able to dance and enjoy this new life forever and ever. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, some of you are like, well, what about now? What about the tunnel I got going on right now? I love the way Paul described what we're supposed to do in the now. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings because I know you got some present sufferings. I know you got some relational stuff. I know we got a busted up world. But it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We got suffering where children die in earthquakes and famine, but it's not going to compare to the amazing glory that will take place when Jesus comes back. Paul goes on, he says, the creation waits in eager expectation. The creation waits in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's what you got to look forward to. But in the meantime, we groan inwardly. We groan inwardly. Just, just turn to your neighbor and just give him a little groan real quick. Like, ugh, ugh. So cold outside. Ah, I got to go to work this week. Ah, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption 
of our bodies. I love this word redemption, and I love the fact that our church, Beartown Road Alliance Church, is right next to the Beartown Redemption Center. Because you know what it reminds me of? You take that old busted plastic bottle or glass bottle, and it's dirty, and it's cracked, and it's limping around, and you're, you know, it's wrinkled, and you give it to the Redemption Center, and they make it new. They make it new. They renew it for noble use. Someday, Christian, you're going to be redeemed. That's where our hope is. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I love what Paul says here because it's almost as if he's saying, I know when we talk about the return of Christ, it's a little bit hard to believe because you're like, ah, I know, but it's been 2,000 years and I don't know if I'm going to see it. Not sure if my children are going to see it, so I'm just going to kind of truck on. And Paul's like, if you could see Jesus in the flesh, that would be no hope. But you got to trust me, that hope is on its way. Just like I told you at the beginning, like I've been to the city of Pittsburgh, the glistening city. Some of you have never been there, but you got to trust me that it's there. You've seen pictures. you got to have faith that it's there. you got to believe that the city is on its way. So here's what you do in the meantime. You seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. You do the same things that exiles were called to do when they went to Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. you got to seek the peace of your city. So what city do you live in? Some of you are like, I don't live in the city. I live in the country. Okay, fair enough. Seek the peace of your neck of the woods. Wherever God has placed you, think about your, your town, your block, your workplace. And you may not want to be there right now, and you might feel like you're in the middle of the tunnel. And God's like, there's hope. Jesus is on the way. He's coming. But in the meantime, You seek the peace of your place while also waiting for the new Jerusalem, the new city, because it's on its way. And so in the meantime, we say, come, allow long, expected Jesus. Because I'm expecting you to come. Even though I can't see it, I'm expecting you to come. Because all those messianic prophecies from hundreds and hundreds of years ago got fulfilled in Christ, proving that the prophecy that he's coming back is also going to get fulfilled. We can trust what God's going to do in the future because he's always come through in the past. We can trust that God's going to break into whatever tunnel you're experiencing right now because he broke in in the past and he's coming again. That's where our hope lies that there is, in fact, light at the end of the tunnel, even though you can't see it, he's proven himself faithful. And he'll continue to prove himself faithful no matter what tunnel you're experiencing right now. So we say, I'm going to seek the peace of my city even if I don't want to be in this city. And I'm going to wait for the perfect city because the perfect city is coming. So we say, come, thou law, expected Jesus, born, to set thy people and this earth free. If you place your hope in anyone else or anything else, it will let you down. 
So this morning, make that decision. That I'm going to put my hope in the King of Kings, my Messiah, who has come to deliver me in this dark and danky tunnel. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now, and we're going to close with a song called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus as we look forward to the day when our king will return. But just for a couple of minutes, I want to give you the opportunity to just be silent and think about the return of the king. Think about your future hope. Take a moment to be completely silent. Maybe bow your heads, maybe close your eyes, and think about the beautiful truth that your king is coming. He's on his way. And then we'll stand together and sing this song.